Testament series? Because I know most of us haven't, don't read Zephaniah and Haggai on a normal basis, right? It probably wouldn't be good for yourself if you just read that, but, but it's still the scripture, and every uh, scripture is, is God-breathed and useful for teaching and correcting and righteousness, right? But, but every scripture in the Old Testament reveals Christ, right? That the whole story is about this Redeemer, this Messiah who's going to come, right? So even in texts like this, God is saying there's a Messiah who's going to redeem all things, who's going to restore all things, and that's why you can trust him, that he doesn't break his promises. And the beauty of living on this side of the resurrection is we know it's already happened. It's been revealed in Scripture and history. We, we know it's, it's happened already. God said, I'm going to do it, and he did it. So he is trustworthy. And so Israel, she doesn't listen to God's voice. She doesn't accept his correction. She doesn't trust him. But she also doesn't draw near to him because this is about worship. See, you draw near to the one you know that has everything that you need. Right? If you believe that God has everything that you need, all goodness, all love, all salvation, all joy, then you draw near to that person, right? But, but if you're saying, I'm not listening to your voice, I'm not listening to correction, I don't trust you, of course you're not going to draw near. Now, I'm not just talking about worship in the, the Sunday morning gathering, religious you know, singing and, and listening to God's word and, and celebrating the Lord's Supper. I'm talking about Every day, Romans 12, living sacrifice, offering ourselves before this good God to say, I believe in you, I have everything that I need. Ultimate joy, ultimate salvation, ultimate hope that even when my life is falling apart, even when everything, we even sang about that this morning, that, 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 that you have everything, all good intentions for me because you sent your only son and by him I have everything I need. If you didn't spare your own son, why would you spare anything from me? So we know from previous chapters, Israel is worshiping these, these other gods, right? There's these, you know, the, the God of Baal and, and, and these fertility gods and, and just hoping maybe the, these gods will do it, right? Maybe these gods will provide what I need. Now, most of us don't bow down to Asher poles. Most of us don't bow down to Baal. But, but right, what are the things that we bow down to? Maybe this job will do it. Maybe this amount of money will do it. Maybe this lifestyle or this experience or, 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 or maybe this amount of money will do it. Maybe this amount of popularity or, 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 or power, if I just build something. Maybe, maybe if I could just have that. And what do we do? Just like worship, we sacrifice to that thing. We give our time, our money, our efforts to that thing, hoping it will deliver on its promises. But it never does, Right? It always leaves us wanting. And, and, and I love, you know, C.S. Lewis said many years ago, um, the, 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 the reason why these good things in our lives just never seem to satisfy is because we're created for another world. Like, jobs are good. You'll hear me say that every, probably every week. Marriage is beautiful. Having children is beautiful. Right? Food is great. Especially bacon. Fajitas. We could go on. Right? Hobbies are great. Watching your favorite sports scenes, film, books, whatever. Like all those things, they're, they're good things. But it isn't an interesting how those things just never quite give us everything that we need, right? There's always just like a wall that we hit. Even the best marriage, even the, the, the greatest kids, it's because we're created for another world. 
They're little gifts, they're little signposts. I believe God gives us why, so that we know we're created for another world. That, that don't put all your hope in those baskets. Don't put your hope in your wife or your husband or your kids or your job or your success, because they will disappoint you every single day in some shape or form. Any amens? I know I'm not talking to, to the void here. It's like, no, everything's perfect. Every, I mean, my job's perfect. My, no, it's not, right? Because there's people at your job. That's the problem. I know I get amen out of that. You know, and you're the problem, and I'm the problem, right? I mean, if there was no people, maybe it would be a little bit better. But the world's also broken, and our bodies break down, and we can't do everything, and we can't, you know, we don't live forever. We're not, we're not infinite. We're weak. We get tired. We can't be everything to everyone. I love what, I mentioned C.S. Lewis, but, but I have this, this other quote from him when he, he talks about worship and praise. I think this is very insightful of why this is such an uh, indictment to Israel and to us when we don't draw near to God. Because listen how he, he talks about worship. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It's an appointed consummation. It's not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. It is frustrating to have discovered a new author and not be able to tell anyone how good he is, to come suddenly at the turn of the road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur, and then to have to keep silent because the people with which you care for it know more than for a tin can in the ditch. This was written a long time ago. To hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. So, so what is worship at its core? It's I, I value you, I honor you, I treasure you, I believe that everything that we need is found in you. That's why we gather on Sunday mornings. We have a lot better things to do than gather, but we're saying ultimately we love you, we treasure you, you've done everything we need for you. We want to lift our voices to you, we want to praise you because that's the way we complete the praise. That's how we complete the consummation. How do I tell my wife? Well, I could t- I could say, you know, in my mind and in my heart, I really love Christy, but I want to tell her that I love her. I want to show her that I love her. I want to get her flowers and and serve her and help her in, 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 in as many ways as I can. Because why? It inc- completes the enjoyment of her. We sing because it completes the enjoyment of what we believe about God. And so Israel doesn't draw near because <laughs> they believe that somehow there is some other good, some other joy, some other hope, some other salvation somewhere else. And so They've said, we're not going to listen to you anymore. We're not going to trust you. We're not going to draw near to you any longer. And then we see what happens because of that. You keep reading a couple verses. You see how the officials within her are roaring lions. That's not a uh, nice comment. Her judges are evening wolves that leaving nothing till the morning. Those are, that's not, they really have it together and they're loving and gracious and serving the, the community of Israel. That's the opposite. The, the officials, the authorities, the leaders of the, of the community, they're like roaring lions. They're looking for someone to devour, to abuse, to hurt. Right? Her judges are like evening wolves that leave nothing till the morning. Her prophets are fickle, treacherous men who priests profane what is holy. They do violence and the law of the Lord within her is righteous. He does no injustice. Every morning he shows forth his justice. Each day he does not fail, but the unjust knows no shame. 
So these leaders, these judges, these, these even priests that were supposed to um, enact worship for them and gather for worship and, and help them have their sins forgiven and worship God properly. And even those folks are saying, nah, we don't trust you. We don't hear your voice. We're not listening to your correction. We're not drawing near to your presence. So when the vertical relationship with God is fractured, as we know from Genesis 3, what happens? The horizontal gets fractured, right? That's why our world is the way it is. So, so, so when, when our relationship with God is broken, right, and we say, no, thank you, God, I'm going to go over here and worship other things, and, and I don't need you, right? Well, what happens? Well, we, then we look to the horizontal, the, the, the relational, those around us, to find what only God can give us. And so we use people and we abuse people and we don't take care of them. We don't serve them. Why? Because we don't have everything we need in God, right? That's how the world works on its very general basic level. So, so I look to this relationship. I look to this marriage. I look to this job. I look to these things. I look to these people to be everything that God was created to be for me rather than letting that relationship with God flow down into those relationships so I don't abuse and hurt and use those people for what they were not designed to be. And it's all because of faulty worship. Of not drawing near to the Lord. And so cynicism and despair come in. Because we don't believe God's the authority. We don't believe he's good. We don't trust him. We, we don't believe that, that everything we have isn't found in his presence and knowing him. But second, God offers hope from cynicism and despair. That the moment we, we think all is lost, I mean, you, this is what I love about the scriptures because you just, you read them and then you're just like, oh my goodness, there's no hope. Israel is, is lame and it seems like God is just mad again. You know, what, what, where's the hope found in this? But notice how it turns so quickly because this is the God that we worship. Therefore, wait for me, verse 8, declares the Lord, for the day when I rise up to seize the prey, for my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out upon them my indignation, all my burning anger, for in the fire of my jealousy all the earth shall be consumed. For at the, that time I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, the daughter of my deserved one, <clears throat> dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. On that day you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. But I will leave you in your midst a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord. Those who are left in Israel, they shall do no injustice and speak no lies, nor shall there be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue, for they shall graze and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. Oh, Okay, God, like, are you speaking out of both sides of your mouth? I mean, I mean, is this like the father who walks into his kid's room and it's just like there's Legos everywhere? I mean, I mean, so many Legos, and I've stepped on a lot of them, and it's like you need to clean your room, and you need to do it now, and, and you're sinning, and, and you're not obeying your parents, and then you leave the room, and then you come back, and there's just still Legos everywhere? And now the father says, it's okay. I got a plan. I'm offering hope for you. It's not wrath anymore. A plan of redemption. Right? And maybe you probably wouldn't use that language if you're talking about Legos, but 
It still works, right? God says, no, 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 I, I'm not leaving you there. I, I made promises to you. I'm not, I, even though you're in sin, even though you're in rebellion, even though you've seen the devastation of your land and how your own people have been sent into to exile, I have a plan of hope that, that, that is going to, to restore and redeem all things. That I'm going to offer, offer you hope in the midst of your cynicism and your despair. That I'm going to turn your mouth from sin and rebellion to purity and speech that says, I love you, God. Notice what verse 9 says, for that time I will change the speech of the peoples to our pure speech. Change, it's it's the same word we get for for transformation in the Old Testament. That he's literally going to change a people from, from I don't trust you, I don't listen to you, I don't want anything to do with you, to I love you, you are everything, all my hope is found in you. Love that song. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. That's what God does in redemption, right? Any amens? I used to be you. I don't want anything to do with you. I don't believe you have everything. I don't need your correction. I'm going to live my life how I want to live. And God says, let's see about that. And he redeemed you and changed you, sometimes for some of us, in a moment. For others, it was a long, slow, painful process. And I think in our lives, it is still a long, painful process, right? Because the grip of sin and the grip of idolatry is still a thing, and it's still real, right? We still need redeeming. God is making us into new creations, but we still have that residue of the old man, and the new man is coming in. But, but right, the, I mean, the, the Holy Spirit, we're at war at times, right? But he says, I'm going to change my people, change their affections, change their desires, change their hearts, And then notice how it leads also to unity. It says, For a time I'll change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. This is not just an individual project. He's saying, I'm going to change the whole community, right? And I, I didn't know if you knew this, but there are um, references to cars in the Bible, and uh, Honda is, is referenced there. One accord. <laughs> it's as good as it gets, folks. Thank you. You can use that anytime you want. Your kids, grandkids, at work on Monday, feel free. But, but it's a beautiful phrase, one accord. It's, it's unity. It's together, right? It's this, this people that are going in the opposite direction. I don't trust you. I don't love you. I don't need your correction. But now God says, I'm going to redeem a people. And now together they are going to worship the Lord. Together they are going to say, yes, you are our good. You are our salvation. You are our hope. There is no room for cynicism and despair here. But God's the one who does that. This is not willpower. This is not just me gutting it together, trying to get my act together. And it's also about a God who's who's creating this humble and lowly people in verse 11 and 12. And I think that's a great sign to, to know if this has happened to us, right? He says, On that day you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain, arrogant, but I will leave in your midst the people who are humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord, those who are left in Israel. Isn't that a great picture of of repentance and faith? It's when we come to the end of ourselves and realize I have to be humble and lowly because I don't have what I need inside of myself. That I need someone to redeem me, someone to restore me so it lays us low. It doesn't puff us up, right? I went on a vacation 
of this last week to uh, Canada. Maybe some of you heard about that, um, which is wild. Um, so I'm a city guy, most of you know that too. And we went to a place that was, it was called a city, but it was very not a city. Um, there was farmland and country. And I remember one morning I, I walked out, it was just a beautiful morning, I walked out this gravel road, which I think I can count on one hand how many times I've walked up a gravel road too. Um, but, but I walked to the end of this gravel road and, and our family live on this, there's a gravel road that goes this way and there's one that goes this way out of their, out of their driveway. And then there's just farmland for as far as the eye can see. And what I, I kind of turned to the left and, and turned kind of towards the middle and turned to the right. And what I was struck by was I could see everything. And I was going, what? what? Like, why can I see so, so much of, of this beautiful landscape and this farm and the sun was coming up? And it's because I realized I wasn't blocked by buildings. Right? I mean, you walk out into your, your front yard, most of us you know, live in a neighborhood or whatever. I mean, there's usually a house across the street or, or over there, but, but, but there's nothing around us. So this, as far as the eye could see, you could, could see this, this beauty and, and see this, this amazement. I just had this moment of just like, God, like, thank you for this just moment. This, you do reveal your glory, don't you? This little gift just for me. But, but I can tell you for that moment, I didn't go, hey, God, you like this? Pretty awesome, huh? Yeah, I've been working on these. Right? No, no one does that in that moment. No one puffs up themselves. When you stand before a holy, good, powerful God, nobody goes, hey, God, you like my biceps? I've been working on them. Creatine. Right? Low carb. They're huge. I can do a ton of curls. Right? I mean, he's just going... Pfft. Like, you see all this I made, right? I, I made you in the blink of an eye, right? I held you together. Everything, yeah, I, I, everything is, is sustained by me. All human history is made by me. Every star, every sun, the little, little girl that you have in your family. I, I made her, and I made your wife, and I made all things and everything, and it all holds together. Nobody in that moment puffs themselves up. It's when we realize who we really are before a holy God that lays us low. It's like Isaiah in, in Isaiah 6 who saw the glory of God. And what happens? I'm a sinful man who lives among a people who are sinful as well. I've seen your glory. I've seen your holiness. And he needed forgiveness in that moment, didn't he? If you remember Isaiah 6, go look at it this afternoon. And then he said, here I am, send me. I know who I am. But I know who you are. And I know that even though you're a holy, glorious, mighty God who deserves to punish me for all my sin, you did something about it in your son, Jesus Christ. He creates humility and lowliness in us, doesn't he? And I think what's really great about this text, too, is if you look at 19 and 20, is that the invitation is for everyone. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors and I will save the lame and gather the outcast and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. That doesn't sound like people that have it all together, does it? I'm going to redeem even the lowly of the lowly, the lame, the outcast, the people that don't fit in. That, that's what the gospel is. It's for everyone. 
It's not for, oh, religious people or moral people or people that grew up in, in certain neighborhoods or, or have certain skin color or whatever. The gospel's for all people, all tribes, all nations. And, and, and what's so beautiful, it gives me great hope because I know that I'm not who I'm supposed to be. I know that I am lowly. I know that I, that I am weak. And then when God redeemed me and found me, I knew that I didn't have it all together. It was the exact opposite. That I began to see that this thing, this, this disease inside of me cannot be fixed by mere willpower or, or, or getting good grades or being good in, in, on, the, on the athletic field. I know you laugh at that, but, but you know, I was, re- I was really decent. Right, and we find these things. Well, maybe if I just, you know, have a have a, live in a different neighborhood or a different job or a different wife or a different relationship. Maybe if I just change the scenery, then I can fix this thing that's inside of me. And yet, God comes to those that know who they are—the lame, the outcast—and He turns our mourning into dancing. So lastly, how do we know this is all true? Right? I mean, we read this, and okay, that sounds nice. Like, there's, there's hope, right, in the midst of our own sin and evil, and there's hope for Israel. Like, like how do we know? Like, can, can we bank our lives on it? Or is this just wishful thinking? I mean, is this just some kind of fairy tale, you know, that everyone's going to win in the end, and, and everyone's going to live happily ever after? Like, is there a way that we can actually know? And I think there is. And it's something we've preached here for eight years. God sends ultimate rescue from cynicism and despair because God sends a Savior who suffers, who sings, and loves. So why, why is that significant? Well, we know in the Old Testament, Jesus, the Messiah, is seen as the suffering servant, right? Isaiah um, 53, if you want to turn to that. <clears throat> Just a couple of verses here. Verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs, <clears throat> carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. We have to know who we really are, don't we? We're all like sheep who have gone astray. Sinners who need mercy and grace. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that was led to the slaughter, like the sheep that is to the shears of silence. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as, and as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people... And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence. And there was no deceit in his mouth. So, so we have this, this suffering servant. And, and right at the end of Zephaniah, it's revealed. Look at this, this, this grave. This is actually a lot of commentators say this is just like a psalm. The, the writer just decides, I'm going to write a psalm right at the end. They, they might have used this in worship. But he says, sing aloud, verse 14, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. How does he take away those judgments in your enemies? Because you're awesome? No. You're the opposite of awesome. 
You've sinned in every single way, right? You've been exiled, right? You're not loving and, and listening to his correction. You're not worshiping him. Well, someone had to be judged. Isaiah 53. 700 years before Jesus would ever come on the scene, the prophet says, Jesus is going to be our judgment day. He's going to stand in our place. All our sin, all our iniquity will be laid on him. That's how you're cleared. It's not because of your good deeds. It's not because of your morality. The kingdom of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at the time I will deal with all your oppressors. I will save the lame and gather the outcasts. I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time I will bring you in at the time when I gather you together. For I will make you a renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. So we have a suffering Savior who did what we couldn't do for ourselves. That even when we experience injustice, we have a God who understands injustice. Because he experienced it in every way possible. His trial was for an innocent man. Jesus broke no laws, but he was crucified on the cross. That he was punished for our transgressions. That by his wounds we are healed. If we, if we experience injustice, we know someone who knows exactly what that is like. And we begin to, to come awake to our own sin. And we feel that we're, we're overcome by despair. We also know we have a high priest. Who knows our weakness. Who knows our temptations in every way. And yet we can go to him boldly by grace text I love to mention all the time because I think it's so helpful. Remember Israel, their, their priests are, are not serving the people. They're not helping them worship well, right? They're, 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 they're not taking their responsibilities seriously. And notice what God does. He sends a, a high priest, Hebrews 4, 14. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. But one in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That when you feel yourself overwhelmed to despair or sin or temptation, we can go to the high priest who goes, I know exactly what you're going through. That God, some have said, took his own medicine that he didn't just say, I love you, I've come to redeem you from heaven to believe on me. He says, I sent my only son in the likeness of, of man, fully man and fully God that knows everything that you go through on a daily basis. And none of us have suffered like Jesus suffered, by the way. But you know what good news that is for people like me and maybe you? Like I hear people in our culture say this a lot, no one understands me. If people just understood me, I'd have a better life. Like, what does that mean? But actually, there is one who does understand you better than you even understand yourself. It's Jesus. Yeah, I know what it's like to be abandoned. 
I know what it's like to be beaten, accused. I know what it's like to have my friends bail on me. I know exactly what that's like. I know what it's like to think you have friends and then they bail on you, right? I know what it's like in your time of, of most eager need at the cross when I'm bleeding out for the sins of the world to have my best friends not be anywhere in sight. I know what that's like. I know what it's like to be misunderstood. I know what it's like to be tempted the same way you are. Like, think about how that could change your prayer life, even like today, right, in this, this moment, that every time you go to God, he goes, yeah, I know, I know what you're going through. But I'm without sin. That's the difference, right? He is the Messiah. That's, that's the good news. But he gives us, gives us help and mercy and, and grace and power that in the midst of our temptation, in the midst of our, our sin, I, I've offered you power and help to, to walk away from it. I know what it's like. I know what it's like to have your boss ridicule you despise you, tell you you didn't get a good, did a good job. I know what it's like to, to well, not technically, but, but, but to have, have a father who, who says you're not lovable or I don't want you or, or a mother that does the same thing. I've gone through all the human experience, yet you can come to me and I offer mercy and grace. So there's a, a rescue that happens, a, a suffering Savior. But did you catch there's also a singing Savior? Unbelievable. The, the God of, of heaven and earth sings over his people. I, I, don't, I don't sing that well. But I imagine God's singing is not like my singing. It's, it's probably in perfect pitch probably amazing. I, I don't know if it's like a deep, bassy kind of, at least the movies, that's how it should be, right? I'm God, right? <laughs> but I came back to this text time and time again this last week and the last few weeks. The Lord has taken away your judgments. 17, the Lord your God is in your midst, the mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. The, the fact we have loud in there just blows my mind. Not just singing. Loud singing. But like that shows what God, how he feels about us, right? Because of Christ, that he actually sings over, he exults over. He says, these are my people that, yes, they were in sin. Yes, they, they made a mess of everything. This is what he's saying to Israel. He's saying, there's going to be a time where I'm going to sing over you. I'm going to exult over you. I'm going to praise over you. I know this makes us really, really nervous right now. Not, well, we can't, God, God doesn't feel that way about us, right? I mean, God is sovereign. God is big. God is awesome. He can't sing over us, right? Because that makes him, you know, like needy, like a child. No, that's not what that means. It's because of who he is and what's been accomplished for us in Christ. He can sing over us. He delights in redemption. He delights in saving us. He delights in taking people who are sin sinful and transforming them and, and making praise come out of their mouth. He, he gets glory and delight in that because that's who he is. He's not needy. He doesn't need you for anything. But he loves to sing over you. Like, I don't know if that melts you in this moment or kills the cynicism and despair in your heart, but I hope it does. Because that's how that works, 
is seeing this God for who he is. I, th- I think a lot of us can't imagine a God like this. I think we imagine more of a disgruntled father who, who never thinks his kids measure up. Always mad, always disappointed, always uninterested. And, and I just want to say, like, as a pastor, and again, I, hopefully I don't think I paint a picture like that, but I just want to apologize. If I, if I ever paint a picture of God that's just like an angry father who's always disgruntled and mad at his kids. Now, granted, we don't minimize sin around here by any means. But it's passages like this. A God who sings over us. We need to hear that this morning. Right? A a God who doesn't leave us in our sin. He doesn't abandon us. But he sings over us. A God who loves. And then, did you catch it? He's a suffering Savior. He's a singing Savior, but he's also a loving, gracious Savior. 17. He will quiet you by his love. How does he do that? It's when you see him for who he is. Quiet, silence, awe. I have no words to say. He says there's going to come a day where God will reveal himself to his people and he'll reveal himself to us and there's going to be such an amazement and all that that what? what? You, You did what for us? That we have barely any words to say. And I think that's the, the, the test for us, is that, 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 that if we begin to see the kindness of God, if we begin to see the mercies of God, the grace of God, that's going to lead us to repentance. He's going to quiet us by his love. We're not going to minimize our sin any longer, but we're also not going to be overcome by it either. Because God does something about it. He comes to us. So, so let me just ask you this as we close. Where do you see kind of the, the minimization, if you will, of sin in your, in your own life? Like, like where are there, there are things that just have a hold of you? Sin, adultery, whatever it is. They just kind of, ah, it's not that big a deal. At least I don't kill people. Like, like where's that taking hold of you? But also, I, I know in this room, there, there's probably some that feel maybe a little more in the despair camp. Like you feel overcome. I just feel like this thing or, or this situation is just not going to change anytime soon. I don't know what to do. But I want you to look to the God who sings over you. That we shouldn't be a people who despair. Because Jesus did everything that we can do for ourselves. Let me read, uh, this is from the Heidelberg Catechism, I'll close and we'll, we'll take the Lord's Supper. It's from Lord's Day 9, I love this. It's God the Father, the Apostles' Creed. What do you believe when you say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? Here's what it says. That the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and everything in them, who still upholds and rules them by his eternal counsel and providence, is my God and Father because of Christ his Son. Here it is. I trust him so much that I do not doubt he will provide whatever I need for body and soul. And he will turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this sad world. He's able to do this. Why? Because he's an almighty God. He desires to do this because he's a faithful father. 
He's able to do this because he's an almighty God. He desires to do this because he is a faithful father. I think that summarizes Zephaniah 3. He's a faithful God who doesn't break his promises. He's powerful in every way that he can do whatever he needs to do. But he also does it because he's a loving father. And every week we we get a little glimpse of that truth and reality when we take the Lord's Supper. We take it every week. And and it's just a reminder every week that, that God is a faithful father. And that he loves to redeem and he loves to, to sing over us. And that we don't have to live in cynicism. We don't have to live in despair. We don't have to be overcome. And when we look around us in the, in the world, we, we, we come every week and we, we're nurtured by this meal just to, to remind us that Jesus, because of the cross and the resurrection, is restoring, renewing all things, including ourselves and the whole world. So we come here and we find hope. We find hope. And so every, even the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 says that every time we, we take the bread and, and we, we take the cup, is that we, we have hope because we know that Christ is returning again, that he's already promised that. He's come once, but he's coming again. And so we can be people that don't have to fear. We don't have to live in this anxiety and, and worry every single day of our lives because God has done something for us. So if you're a believer in Christ, please take the the bread and, and break off a piece of the bread and dip it in the cup. If you have any kind of allergies of any kind, we have nut-free, gluten-free bread in the middle. Feel free to take that. There'll be two servers in the front. Um, if you need, uh, if you're not a believer, we just ask that you'd stay seated. We do have some prayers in the city life where you can think on and, and reflect on. Um, we, most of us, have been in that place before. We know what it's like to to wonder what is life about and why am I here and 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 how do I make. Uh, how do I understand things? Um, and so if you want to talk about that, explore that more, please talk with me or one of the elders. love to pray with you, talk with you uh, about that. So with that, let us pray. Father, thank you for Zephaniah chapter 3. What a great way to end this book, to be reminded of a God who sings over us and a Savior who suffers for us to make that all possible. And a God who doesn't leave us in despair or cynicism. And that you're gracious and kind enough to to show us our own sin and our own need. But you're also gracious and kind enough to come to us and do something about it in your son Jesus. So God, wherever your people are this morning, they're, they're just feeling this sense of anxiety, worry, fear, cynicism, despair, God, maybe over sin, temptation, whatever it may be, God, I just pray you'd meet them by the power of your spirit and show them that Jesus is enough for them. That every one look at our sin, God, we would take 10 looks at our Savior. So help us. Help us believe. In Jesus' name, amen. Come celebrate the Lord's Supper with us.